of the game, it wears guys out. They are too Luca reliant. We've had an incredible run of statistical performances over a regular season, like historic stuff, right? Um, the Westbrook season in 17, some of these hardened seasons. But I kept coming back to the point, and Blake, these guys have the basketball more than anyone's ever had it regularly in history. So I went through usage rates, the top 20 usage rates in NBA history. And the playoff track record is terrible for these single-season players with the highest usage rates in the history of the game. And a lot of them are very recent years. The only player to ever get to a finals was Allen Iverson. to the Ballers Edition podcast. It's May 6, 2022. Um, playoffs are underway. Two games in to the second round. A lot to talk about. And as you heard in our intro clips, we're going to talk about some usage rates. <laughs> we're going to talk about the two guys of the hour. And I know Baller wanted to get into this, you know, because he has some interesting insights when it comes to man on the right, Luka Doncic, man on the left, James Harden. And I wanted to hear specifically what you had to say in this category. And taking from that first clip, where I didn't know this, but when you're looking at the usage rates of all time, Allen Iverson's the only guy to make it to the NBA Finals. So get into it, Baller. Right, but isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that there isn't much of a track record for success when you have players that are so ball-dominant? And... For me, I just, I made the point to you off air about how Luka Doncic is the new James Harden, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm watching it. And when it really clicked to me was the other day when I was watching him pat the ball through his legs like three or four times and then JaVale McGee knocked it away from him and then ran coast to coast and dunked it. Yeah, And I was like, man, that looked exactly like something James Harden would have been doing at least. I don't know if JaVale would have ripped him, but the point was is it just brought me like flashbacks and I'm looking at it. They're very similar in the sense of their size and not being the most physically in shape type of individual, mm-hmm. you know, gifted, very, very talented, very smart, very good at changing speeds and playing off speed. So it's hard to predict when they're going to go or how they're going to attack. Um, and then they both obviously do a lot of step backs and shoot threes and, more importantly than that, though, is that the usage thing, right? Like, everybody's standing there and waiting for to get fed almost. You know what I mean? It almost looks like, you know, when, like, a, a, a mother, like a cow or a, or a dog or a pig or whatever, like, there's all the little babies all feeding, trying to get their turn to get some milk, like, and each person just has to sit there and wait for him to decide, okay, here. You can have it now. Mm -hmm. Or, all right, you can have it. And it's just sitting there and everybody's getting cold. Everybody's antsy and anxious because the way basketball really works is that it's all about rhythm and Mm -hmm. feel. So you need the ball. You need it to, even if you pass it after the fact, you you still just need to touch it and feel it to be a part of it. And that is what I think is the biggest downside to that type of style of play is that the other players don't, feel as involved and they don't get to have the rhythm so that when it's time to finish a play or to do something, even on their own, they're confident and ready to do it. And then you look at the headlines and it's like Luca and who? 
mm. right? James Harden, nobody can fit with him. Dwight Howard comes and goes. Chris Paul comes and goes. Westbrook comes and goes. And it's like, it's, is it the guys who are coming and going? Fault? Porzingis comes and goes. Or is it the player's style that's making it hard for everybody else? I so guess, Yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. Now that I talk to you, that's what I think. I think I'm watching Dallas play the Suns right now, and they have no chance. I guess it's hard. You know, I mean, you have you have these people that are so talented at scoring the basketball, passing the basketball, um, shooting, just just every aspect of the game. It's offensively, right? These guys are probably the most talented offensive players ever to ever play to ever touch a basketball. To be perfectly honest with you, and I think that's what makes it hard. So you have these guys that are super super talented. And their usage rate, the the fact that they have the ball in their hands, the fact that they score it, make them superstars. So from a business standpoint, you're saying these guys being on the floor, doing what they're doing is good for us. It's good for our bottom line. It's good for our fan base, good for jersey sales, good for all of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you get to a certain point in the NBA where it's good to have statistics. It's good to have you know, individual accolades. It's good to be first team all NBA. It's good to win an MVP, but you get to a point where you're like, ah, we've seen that, done that. What's next? And the next is usually a championship. And I think what you're saying is, and I think what was alluded to there was when you play that way, you are not going to have championship success. It's just a fact. You know what I mean? We have 75 years of NBA data that proves that, this is not going to happen playing this way. And you have something here where you're saying, okay, do you get the player to change or do you try to fit or make a system that will allow this player to perform at that level on a championship stage? I don't know. I, I don't think know. you're going to have to, you're going to have to manipulate the game for that to happen because it, it's not, the stats are not there because, it's unfair or that you just haven't found a, a good enough player to do it. The stats are there because this is a team game. You still need people to play defense. You still need people to sacrifice their bodies. You still need all kinds of other things that have to happen throughout the game. And if you don't give a person that reward, it's almost like business, you know? Yeah. They've shown, they've shown stats that says like an employee will enjoy their job more because they get acknowledged and have respect than if you give them a raise in pay. Yeah. Because because people are human and we, we need gratification in a certain way. We need acknowledgement. We need to feel like we're a part of something that means something. So when you have a team or a situation where you only praise one guy, yeah. you make it seem like it's that guy and then the others, those people start to resent that. Mm-hmm. Those people don't try as hard for that type of individual or that type of situation. Those people check out. You see it again. The Lakers are a great example of it. Like it's LeBron and the others. So now you see a bunch of guys who don't really care that much. Yeah, they don't do all the extra things, right? They yeah. see LeBron kind of standing around, so they start standing around. Even though LeBron does a lot of other things too, right? But at the same time, they're like, "Well, I'm going to get the blame." 
I'm doing all this dirty work. And in the end, he gets all the credit. And every, if everything goes wrong, it was because of me. So at a certain point, that type of situation creates animosity. It creates resentment. And it starts to, you know, just erode the fabric of the team. Players start to just not care. And it just doesn't matter. It's not as important. And if the player has any kind of ego or any bit of skill, they're not going to want to walk into a situation like that where it's all lose and the other guy is the only one that gets all the credit in the end. And that's what it looks like with Dallas and Luka. Yeah. Right? It's starting to have that same vibe. So Porzingis was like, yeah, I got to get out of here, man. Because this is a losing environment. Like, I can't win here. Yeah. Even if we win. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, but his, like his stock was just falling just as a result. You know what I mean? And... They just looked at it like it just you just can't make it work, and I was I think I was saying this speaking to some friends that when Przingis was on the floor, he had to become a spot up shooter, and it didn't allow him to get into rhythm. Right, it didn't allow him to touch the basketball, feel it, post up, turn around. You had to become a stand up shooter because the way Luca orchestrates everything, and he's so good at it. You know what I mean? Like, you start to look at some of the games, you're like, man, this guy hits some tough baskets. This guy does some incredible things. This guy can get to the rim. He can he can do just about everything. And, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody else is, is ball watching. I, I, You know what's funny? I'm starting to look right now at actually the usage rates throughout history. You know who's number one? Who? <laughs> Westbrook. The 2016-2017 wow. season. He's number one of all time. Harden's number two. Kobe's 05-06 season is number three. Westbrook's 14-15 season is on there as number four. And Jordan's 86-87 is number five. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So you, you don't see anything championship related here. You're like, you're not this isn't the time where anybody's making that run, that deep run to the playoffs, usually what you're seeing is MVP years for individuals. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And I think what's also interesting about it is that you see these guys and they're not really in a situation that's winning at the time, right? Like this is just, let's see what I can do. Let's see how much I can score the ball. You know what I mean? And you got some great players on there. Shoot, Michael Jordan's on there. Yeah. And yet, and yet, it doesn't make a difference, right? Like, Jordan got to a point where people in the league were saying scoring, scoring champions don't win championships. Yeah. Jordan, Jordan admitted it himself that he heard the criticism. And I think about it. I'm like, look how many great players there have been in the NBA. You know, but... Like, just think about it. Imagine if Larry Bird was like, you know what, man? I'm just going to work on my handle, and I'm just going to do everything. <laughs> Same you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yes. I don't, need to, I, don't need, I don't need these guys to, to bring the ball up. I can bring the ball up. Mm-hmm. And then I already have it now. Yeah. So now I don't, have to run off, I don't have to run off these screens anymore. Yeah. I don't have to be a decoy. Yeah. I can just play with it at the top of the key, shake a guy, and then pull it. My shot is better than everybody else's, so it's a better shot if I take it anyway. Yeah. Right? So why even waste all the time of drawing up a play, running around, 
going through these screens, getting hit, getting grabbed, when I can just handle it myself and shoot it myself. Okay. Let's look at it like this. We're missing some key elements to basketball, and we've spoken about this. You know what I mean? We've spoken about this a lot. You have five players on the floor for your side, right? You have a center, mm-hmm. power forward, small forward, point guard, and shooting guard, right? And then you have the rest of the players on the bench, usually seven to ten more players on the bench. Then you have one very special individual. That guy's called a coach. Now, that mm-hmm. coach is going to set up the game plan for the five on the floor to execute. He's going to use the other 10 or seven guys on the bench to plug in and out of the game. The coach is the one orchestrating what's happening or orchestrating the symphony that's taking place on the floor. What I see in all of these scenarios is no coaching. Yeah. Or the coach feels, I can't. You know what I mean? <laughs> Say anything because I'm tied to whatever is taking place here. Because just like I spoke about in the beginning, you have an organization who is now making hand over fist based on that performance that this individual is putting on the floor. Mm-hmm. Then you have a coach, <laughs> right? If the coach designs a system that takes away from said player, Right? Organization doesn't make as much money. If they don't win a championship, coach probably gets fired. Yeah. Right? Now, if I'm coach and I'm there, players having success, doing what he's doing, but we keep falling short. And it's like, okay, maybe it's not the coach. (laughs) Maybe it's Mm -hmm. another player. Maybe it's the center. Maybe it's the power forward. Everybody's sort of trying to keep themselves relevant or keep their jobs in in and around that but coaches have to be very strong individuals yeah and then you you just have to get to this point do do organizations really 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 want or are willing to do what it takes to win a championship and again you're going to need a high level coach somebody who could step in so when you're looking at kobe's 0506 season phil leaves right Phil Jackson's uh-huh. gone. He's out the door. Kobe's going to do it on his own, and he loses in the first round. Right? No Shaq. No Phil. It's all Kobe. Great. You know what I mean? You're no longer a champion. He realizes quickly, I need Phil back. You know what I mean? Westbrook's yeah. never really had a strong demanding coach. Harden's coach, D'Antoni, was always a guy who was, you know, pro offense, pro whatever James Harden's doing. And Daryl Morey sort of alluded, like, you know what I mean? Supported it. Well, analytics and all of that kind of stuff. That's what Daryl Morey's known for. And there's no better analytics player than James Harden. So it's tough, man. It's it's Mm -hmm. tough from a league standpoint. But do I think he can get there? Can you fit the right pieces around? Maybe. I, I think so. I really do think that there's a a secret formula that exists out there for this type of individual. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And I think... I feel like when Go on, go on. Let me figure it out. But think about it. The point that the guy made was that Iverson was the only one to get to the finals, right? Yeah. But look at that Philly team that Iverson had. 
Yeah. First of all, first of all, they never had a real chance of winning the final. Not against at the all. Lakers, no. They never had a shot, or against almost any team that would have came out of the West. Yeah. They never had a real chance. It was nice. It was his greatest season, but they never had a real chance. They barely could put the ball in the net because they had a whole bunch of guys that were comfortable with never shooting the ball and just playing defense. Right? So you got guys, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, Matumble, and I think, what was his, the other guy's name? I can't remember his name. I see his face, but I can't remember his name right now. But there, none of them were offensive players. Mm. So you're sitting and you're watching it, and you're like, this is disgusting. And then you take a look at Iverson and his body and all the injuries he had to go through. The guy barely made it to the end of the season. Yeah. So you start to watch it and you're like, this thing is hard on the body too. And it's funny because you have a clip that I, I wanted you to play of, of Cowherd, um, Colin Cowherd and him talking about Luca Harden and this usage rate and the effect that it has on the player over the course of a whole game, mm-hmm. because it was something very, very interesting that took place in that Phoenix game towards the end of that game that Chris Paul was doing. And it became very, very interesting. And it was something that I was thinking about and was wondering why more people don't do. And that had to do with that same player who does all of the work, now him now having to go to the other side of the floor. Mm. And I think we talked about it when I was talking about the Luca Jordan scenario where Luca's going to get his, mm-hmm. but then he has to go to the other side of the floor and try to defend that same player and what it could look like. So if you have the clip, just play it for a second and then we can build on it for a quick moment for the audience. All right. Here's Cowherd on Luca. See bias. I fall prey to it all the time. I try not to, but it's, you know, you get emotionally connected, viscerally connected to all these like athletes and teams and games and March madness and the playoffs. But it was about five years ago in his prime that we were saying James Harden was better than Kobe. Analytically, he was the greatest, most efficient scoring guard of all time. But there was a truth serum about James Harden that he had the ball in his hand so often and he initiated so much contact, he was exhausted by the end of games. He was a defensive liability. Is Luka Doncic just becoming the Dallas version, the bigger version of James Harden? Always has the ball initiates a ton of contact that takes its toll on you over a game, Uh, plays a lot of minutes. Everything goes through him and he scores 35 to 38 points effortlessly. And then by the end of the game, he's gassed and they're picking on him. Chris Paul was seeking him out at the end of the game. We looked it up this morning. Chris Paul went after Luca 50 times as the screen defender. They were seeking him out. That's what teams did to James Harden. Ryan Rossillo, podcaster, came on, my buddy, yesterday, talked about Luka's uh, style. Yeah. Yeah. You get what I mean? And I watched that game. I watched Chris Paul literally constantly getting switches with Luka trying to guard him, and he was literally walking around it. They said, they said it was about 50 times in that game where he sought out. It, it started getting embarrassing. Like, it was starting to get embarrassing. 
this is the guy. Luca's the guy. And I remember, I remember one, one year, they did a whole compilation of James Harden's horrible defensive plays. Right. It, it was hilarious. And you just saw him allowing people to score. He wasn't even trying to play defense. Because in his mind, all that mattered was when he had the ball on offense. And this is the leader of your team. This is the best player on your team, the guy that sets the tone. So if you're looking at Luca now and you're like, okay, bro, you're nice, but if you can't play any D, if you don't really make that a concerted effort, what now does that translate to the rest of your team? What kind of team are you going to have? So now you, you're in a similar situation with Iverson, where you got a guy that can score, but he's not necessarily the guy that's going to play all the defense. So now you have to construct a defensive team. How many, so how many players in the NBA are great at scoring and playing D? Not a lot. No. So how do you construct a team that can compete in the playoffs and get to the finals and win it with, a, with guys that don't play D really, or they can play D, but they can't really score. Right. Like, he needs like a Lonzo Ball and Marcus Smart. Next but you him. said it, but you just said Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball runs the point, which is what I was thinking. But he can play that, off the ball. Now, he can, he can, t- see, now he can turn into a spot up shooter. I don't like it. I think it, I think you turn Luca into the two, and you make no. another guy have the ball in his hand. No, and let Luca finish finish plays versus initiating. But you're gonna but you're gonna try to change with that whole that that old adage where it's like you could teach an old dog new. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can't teach Luca to be different. You'd have to change the culture. You'd have to change him. You'd have to get a real hard nosed tough coach in there. And you have to have buy-in from ownership. That's not going to happen. You well, need, I'll say you this. Need, you, you, you have one shot with him. And you have to find the perfect pieces, the perfect package in order to make it fit. Someone like him, it, yeah. He either I, never I, wins, <laughs> he either never wins, or you're going to construct and find the perfect fits. <laughs> It's funny you say it that way, though. Like, you have one shot. Because that's what it almost really feels like. Like, you have this one opportunity, which is the next few years, to be able to construct a team and for everything to go perfectly for you to get that opportunity to get a championship. Because when you're watching it, you're like, it's so fragile. The league is changing all the time. It's still a speed game it's still about athleticism in the end as much as it's you want to shoot now you're getting athletic players that can shoot once upon a time it was you know there was just a a specialist that you'd bring in a steve kerr a john paxton you know what i mean even a reggie miller where their job was that they wasn't going to be the most athletic now you have guys like cam johnson who can hit the three but also can slash and dunk it too so I, you know, it's interesting you say that, but I will say I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that this whole thing is going to play out similar to James Harden, and I think that it's just going to be a nice to have. And I think the biggest problem was that we fell in love with this idea that you needed to score over 30 points to be a star, right? 
Yeah. We love, like, it's a star-driven league. We love stars, right? When we think of Michael Jordan, we think usually of scoring. We don't really dive into the rest of the stuff that he did. The defense, the passing, you know what I mean? Just, just who he was. We don't dive into a lot of it. But, really... It's a star-driven league. We're, we're, we're attracted to stars. Like, again, that's why his jersey is selling. This is the, the, the Trojan horse of the NBA. Like, you can't, once this seeps into your organization, like you're talking about, once you lose the culture, once you don't have it, you're done. And this is, like, you remember when the Spurs had Ka- the Cole Kawhi issue, right? Mm-hmm. You're asking two things from from um from from the organization at that point. You're asking Popovich to be different in order to cater to Kawhi so you could keep him, right? Which had mm-hmm. never been done by this guy. This is the problem. Once that seeps in, once you have that individual now where it's like, oh man, like you need to be a little bit more of a catering to the player's whims and his needs or he's going to go somewhere else that he finds more fun that's going to allow him to do whatever he needs to do not what the team needs him to do and that's the that's that's the scary part with a luca so you could try something else but he could opt out and leave too and you're dallas you're like do you want to risk leaving because it's a business what is the most important thing i think it's going to be the money to a lot of uh-huh. these guys, Cuban uh-huh. already has a championship. He, he could, he can, he can dine out on that one ring with Dirk Nowinski. That's it. He's good. You know what I mean? But the yeah. money, what's driven, what's being brought into that stadium? Those Lucas seventy-seven jerseys that are being bought all around the world means more than anything. <laughs> and that's the problem. Those James Harden jerseys. When James Harden started clicking in Houston. It gave it a different vibe. It changed everything. You know what I mean? So you have shoe companies that are invested into into what he does. You have clothing companies. You have so much invested into just what he does. They don't care if he wins a championship or not. You know what I mean? But in order to win, you need the player to show a little bit of humility, to step down a little bit and allow himself to be coached. And in an era where that, isn't something that is i want to say the cool thing to do these players are just not willing to do so they're willing they're more they, they would rather leave than change the way they are you know what i mean and 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 in the case of harden if you really think chris paul is on a phoenix team who couldn't make the playoffs prior to that and took them to the finals and he played with Harden. And Harden's like, I need to get that guy out of here. <laughs> yeah. I need to get him out of here. He's too old. He's too slow. He doesn't do anything for me. Right? Harden. Mm-hmm. Harden made them trade away Chris Paul. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he <laughs> made that organization push that guy out the door. And that wherever, after Houston, wherever he went... He's been a blessing. <laughs> yeah, Whatever no, organization that's he's been in. That has to tell you something. I think Porzingis is gonna have a wonderful time in Washington. To be perfectly honest with you, you know what I mean. Yeah, 
These yeah. guys are just too big. You know what I mean? They're too big to fail, and you can't move on them. You have four or five more years with Luca at this level, and then that's it. Yeah. It's almost like these players are major corporations, you know? Yeah. And they're just, they're, they're huge. And maybe the carbon footprint or all of the price that the whole, you know, the whole thing has to pay for these companies to be alive is a very big one. Everybody's turning a blind eye because it just generates so much revenue, you know? And, and, I, and I think that's what these players, these specific players in the NBA are like because there's so much invested into them. Like you're saying, the jersey sales, the running shoes, the, the McDonald's ad campaign, whatever it is, you know, they just can't turn this machine off. You know what I mean? In order to do something that might end up being better in the long run for the whole. But right now, this thing just makes too much dough. You yeah. know what I mean? It's funny. As you were talking, it made me think of White Man Can't Jump, the movie. <laughs> and, and when Woody Harrelson's looking at Wesley Snipes and he said, you know, you'd rather look good and lose than look bad and win. Yeah. You know? And it's the truth, man. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at a culture of optics and aesthetics instead of just the actual product being valuable or being good for the individual. You know what I mean? So you're selling people on stuff that doesn't even work in the end. Yeah. Doesn't even, you know what I mean? You have a whole host of young kids that are, that are watching this and are developing their game based on the stuff that they're seeing not knowing that most of them are going to fail because of that style of play. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I was, I was a victim of it to a degree as a young kid watching Iverson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me and coaches had a lot of friction. <laughs> of course. You know what I mean? Because I wanted to cross people over. I wanted the ball to stick in my hand for a little while. <laughs> There's no shot clock either. <laughs> right. Stop cross you three or four times and pull it back every time. My friends used to hate me because of it. Yeah, yeah. But I just, I just needed to get off what I saw that guy do. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. And that's what is happening. I'm sure of it. In in gyms all over the world. You know what I mean. Of course, kids are shooting from half court now, like Curry. But at least Curry's game's a little more simple so that it could fit but most of the guys that are really really handling it constantly they're not the ones that are making this thing easy for coaches in you know house leagues around the world coaches can't coach like you remember the whole, like i remember there was a time where i looked at coaches as being like sort of like that mean dad figure you can't, mm-hmm. you can't pull anything on him. You can't get away with nothing. You show up late to practice. It's extra suicides. You know what I mean? Like there's this, yo, there's a discipline aspect to this guy. Absolutely. Coaches- and, and let me add this in black culture, because there's been issues where fathers have not always been around. The coach ended up sometimes being that person that would come to the, per- the kid's house and pick them up, bring them to practice, make sure they get home safely. You almost were, they almost were the father figure in right. a certain young man's life. But coaches started to become friends. Mm. They started to become your friend, your buddy. You know what I mean? 
A guy you could laugh and joke with. A guy, you know what I mean? If you're the star, he's not going to really get on you. He's going to allow you to punk a, a lesser player just because. You know what I mean? He'll let you show up late. He might even not let you run some of the wind sprints that you need to run. He might take it easy because, you know, I'm not really into running today. Can I just work on my shooting? Yeah, go on the other side. Like, yeah. that's what these guys are getting. Think about this AU system now. Mm-hmm. These guys aren't in the gyms going over plays. Half of the time, these guys don't even live in the same vicinity with each other. Mm-hmm. These guys are meeting up on a weekend and they're playing. There is no coaching. There's an individual aspect to it because everything at that moment, only thing that matters is your name, your individual name. And we've sat down and watched uh, the EYBL highlights, right? It's individualized. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yep. who's the person. Is it Bronny James? Is it DJ Wagner? You know what I mean? It's these individuals that we're gravitating to. These individuals will be the next Nike superstar. These individuals yeah. will be the next college superstars. These individuals will be the next NBA superstars. That's what we're, we're, we're trapped in. And yeah. we get guys like Giannis, you know what I mean, who allows himself to be coached. If Budenholzer wanted to be hard on Giannis right now, Giannis will take it. You could tell. You just know 100%. That there's coaching that's taking place over there. I believe Monty Williams is coaching that Phoenix team. Mm-hmm. Nobody's getting away with anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Monty Williams yeah. is really coaching that team. You know. You can tell. You feel it. You know but what even I mean? Willie Green, even Willie Green. Even Spolstra. You know what I mean? You can tell in Miami. Your butler, you don't run nothing over here, eh? This culture is bigger than you. For sure. And- and Butler's not even trying to. Nah. He actually, because Butler wants to win. Of course. Of course. We all seen the little blow up they had recently. And Haslam had to step in like, buddy, we'll, just, we'll beat you up here. You know what I mean? What do you, <laughs> what do you think is going on here? I don't care about your name. You know what I mean? That's what I think is needed for you to really win. So you start to look at these top teams. I think the the, the coach in Boston is getting a chance to coach. And he was able to coach through his his rocky start. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and and that's what makes me sad about Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I see problems that are going to come from Charlotte. I yeah. liked Borrego because he held Lamelo accountable from yeah. the start. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think. You know, in a situation with Charlotte, Jordan is Jordan, right? And and the media wants to have more to say about Charlotte. They want to include Michael Jordan in the conversation more. And by Charlotte winning more games, that's what they will be able to do. And I think they might believe that bringing a different coach in will, will just kind of have a similar effect that Steve Kerr had on the Warriors, mm. where Mike, Mark Jackson had done all these things to lay the foundation and then Kirk came in and kind of tipped it over the edge you know so I think they're hoping that they got something like that in Charlotte I don't think they're ready yet I don't think they've gotten to that point yet but you know again like I think it was a little premature they won 10 more games than they had won the year before that on top of increasing their winning 
by 10 the year prior. So I think you're asking too much. I think so. But yeah. And then in a league where everything is, everything's getting better, you know? So I think that they made a mistake for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because I wanted to mention Michael Jordan, you talking about, you can't teach these old dogs new tricks. Do you believe like, cause based on what you're saying about Luca or whoever, it's like, you can't change them. You can't ask them to do that. Mm. But do you believe, do you believe that you could have said to Michael Jordan, like, would you have believed then that Phil could have pulled off what he did with Jordan? Because basically what you're saying is you got this ridiculous superstar and you can't say nothing to him. Imagine that if Phil never had convinced Jordan to let them take the ball out of his hands to more. There's a difference. You didn't have to teach Jordan a new trick. See, Jordan played to a circumstance in Chicago, right? Jordan went to North Carolina under Dean Smith. Michael Jordan didn't run North Carolina. Dean Smith ran North Carolina. Dean Smith was the head of that household. You know what I mean? Michael Jordan knew what it was like to be coached and allowed himself to be coached. So the only time in his life where he knew what winning felt like, there was a man on the sidelines that was orchestrating everything. And now that he's going through his young NBA career and he's seeing we can't quite climb over the mountaintop, but man, am I the best player in the world? Someone quickly reminded him, do you want to win more than you want these individual accolades? And he loved winning more than the individual accolades. And he remembered Carolina. And that brought him back. And that's why that worked. These one-and-done European superstars from their kids, these guys don't know what that feels like. Uh, I think it's different, actually. Because as you were saying it, I thought of Luca, And I was like, but... Luca actually is in a similar sense that he came out of winning in Europe. So he knows the feeling of getting to the top and winning. So maybe I'll, I'll say this. I think if you catch Luca in two years and maybe he might be ready to do something similar to what Jordan did because Luca does come from winning. Of course. Luca was a winner. You know what I mean? Yeah. So at some point, all of this is not going to matter to him if he's a true competitor. He's going to want to win. And I don't see Dallas changing its position in the NBA when it comes to the Western Conference. I think at best, Dallas will always be a 4-5. Yeah. I can't see them raising any higher than that position because I don't see them being better than Memphis, the Warriors. I don't see them being better than Phoenix. And I don't see them being even better than Denver when they get Jamal Murray back. Yeah. So, so Luka's going to continue to flounder in the lower half of the seating until a moment comes where he's presented with an opportunity to start to to win. And I think it's going to require that some other guys come in or a system be put in place. So I think he might be willing once he's gotten all of this stuff out of his system when it comes to all of the the accolades and all of the praise because it gets old fast, man. You know what I mean? And I think that's what the situation is. But is Jason Kidd the right guy? That's why I like... I, I think I, I like traditional coaches more than I like player coaches. I agree. 
player coaches have a tendency to be your friend, and that's why I'm saying you you can't be you can't be friends <laughs> to make tough decisions. You know what I mean? You have to be you have to be from the outside looking in. That's that's just how it has to be. I think Jason Kidd and Luca are, are, are probably friends at this moment. I think it's hard to tell your friend the truth. Mm. You know, or be tough on them and get them to run. Like, you know what? Something Cowherd brought up in that in that whole um, thing that he was doing when it came to Luca and Harden. He he made a point where he said, "Look at their bodies. These guys aren't the pillars of health of what we think of. They're not Giannis. They're not LeBron." So you could tell that there's an off-season regiment there that isn't taking place with both players. They're having this great success on the basketball floor, but they're not they're not pillars of, of so so when you see Harden at 33, you're probably looking into a mirror at Luca. That's why it's like this window is kind of short if he doesn't change a lot of things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cuz you'll lose a step. And yep. you're not really fast to begin with. <laughs> yeah. So losing a step is is really really falling off a cliff. There's a there's so much of a risk there. So you're not going to be the guy, the, the Michael Jordans, the the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryant's with this undeniable work ethic. You're not going to do that, right? So you really are. There's just so much things that can go wrong where you're like. I don't know, man. The window is four years. Four yeah, years left I, of this, in my opinion, until it goes really, really bad. And and the other thing is he has a lot of miles because exactly. he's played European basketball, you know what I mean, prior to coming to the NBA. And then all of the NBA usage rates and all of that stuff that he's pushing. I think he's. Yep. I think he has four years so far in the top 25 of all time. In terms yeah, of man. seasons, that that's a that's a lot. That really is a lot. And Michael Jordan has two, and frankly enough, and ironically enough, it's the two years that he didn't win anything. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so yeah. and, you know, like it's yeah. interesting, man. It is, and I think that, and why I wanted to bring this conversation up would be for the audience and for the younger audience especially the basketball playing audience, you know, and for parents that have young kids and they want them to be listening to information around the game that could be helpful to them. There is a high risk, high reward situation when you decide that you want to be a superstar and you want to be like certain players that you idolize that are in the NBA right now. And it is that you might be so focused on one aspect of your game that you neglect every other part that comes with it that you might need in order to have success and to fit into a culture that might not be like an AAU environment where they're just trying to use your name to build their program and they just move you through without actually teaching you anything or developing your characteristics or your personality so that now if things are not going your way, you're not always trained to be able to endure the process to get to the other side and be a better version of yourself for it. You'll just run away from it and try to look for an easier situation to be able to get off your game. And that in and of itself is going to be the barrier to your success in life 
let alone on a basketball court. Because adversity and difficulty are things that you just can't take. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it starts to be a problem and you start to see it playing out in the NBA environment because, and that's why I really enjoyed watching Chris Paul do what he did to Luca in game two, because he started to show something that everybody was hiding, which is that buddy, you might be able to put the ball in the net, but there's two sides to this game. You're going to have to play D and I'm going to make you play D and I'm going to embarrass you. And I'm going to make everybody have to talk about it so that now people are starting to see the relationship between Harden and Luca, which for me, I was saying it a while ago, but now it's on, it's starting to become undeniable because they're literally pulling you out and forcing you to play D. I've seen clips of, of um, Devin Booker shaking him up too. So I'm like, this is how I always thought. I'm like, how are you guys letting this guy just kill you? And that's it. Mm. To me, and that's why I brought up the Michael Jordan thing when my I was having a convo about Luca, and you guys are like, "Yeah, could Jordan stop Luca?" I'm like, "Yeah, but could Luca stop Jordan?" No, Luca's gonna sure. score what he's gonna score, but Jordan's gonna have sixty. They're gonna be like, "Yo, no, 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 switch this right away," because it's not fair. And that's the way I grew up. It's like, "Yeah, yeah, you scored, but now come guard me too." And then you play each other, and the same players guard each other. That's why I don't love this era of man switching. And, you know, you're the star, and I'm the star, and we play the same position, but we're going to have someone else guard each other. So I'm not going to actually match up against you, and you're not going to match up against me. That's why I love seeing Tatum and Durant go at it in the, in the Boston series, because now you kind of start to see what Tatum's made of. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what we haven't been seeing in the NBA is that you have guys that can score, but they don't have to play no D, so you don't really know what they're made of. Yeah, you don't know if they can handle the back and forth. You know what I mean? You don't know who's better, even. Yeah, and to me, it's sad because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for competition. We're looking for players to go at it and to cement themselves in that list of players. Well, I want to look at your stats alone. Your stats could look great against someone else, but how do they look against the guy that's comparable to you? To me, that's the part that I, I, I miss. I miss seeing Jordan and Reggie, the two stars on the team, beefing. Yeah. You know? So for me, these are the things that I'm I'm interested in and I'm watching what's happening in that Dallas and Phoenix series. And I'm like, this is basically what I thought. Dallas has no real chance. None. They, they, they put up a fight. They were doing okay. Luca had, I think, 24 in the first half. The game was close. I think they even went into halftime up. And then in the fourth quarter, Luca kind of got tired. The team kind of had a mental lapse. And all of a sudden, they're down 25. Yeah. And, and it turns into a joke. And that's what I believe every game might look like. Any given moment, Phoenix is just going to take off and, and blow them out. Yeah, they, they can't do anything to stop Phoenix on the defensive side of the ball. They, they're not going to be able to stop them. Um, but I did want to think about, I, I did want to touch on something where mm-hmm. 
you know, as you're talking about this stuff, it, it brings me back because when I'm watching one specific name here that's top three of all time in usage rates is Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Kobe got bored of winning. Yeah, I think so. I think, but that's why I never loved Kobe in the in the early years when he was with Shaq. But but in the early, see, that's the problem. In the early years when he was with Shaq, he won. He's not on this list then. He's on this list when Shaq leaves. Mm-hmm. But I think Kobe understands that the process, the fire that he needs is not in being so successful right away. That wasn't what Kobe was chasing, I think. But he, but, he got, was, but he got success right away, like he, like pretty early in his career. But it wasn't the success that he was looking for. See, but see, he understood. Ah, mm-hmm. ah, it's not the success he was looking for. So if you look at Harden, you look at Luca, you look at these guys, they want success in a certain way. If you say to me right now, okay, for example, who is going? Who do you think is going to be the MVP of this year's season? Um, it sounds like they might want to give it to Jokic again. But I, I would probably say it's probably going to go to Embiid. Mm. Now, if you look at Embiid, Embiid's this season, Embiid's ninth all time, right behind Luka. They've been praising Embiid up and down. Luka's, I mean, Jokic isn't even in the top 25, right? Jokic has incredible stats, but Embiid's usage rate Turns him into an MVP. Can't blame Embiid. Embiid's the guy. It's everybody else's fault. We love mm. Embiid. We love his talent. We love this. It's an addi- it, There's an addiction to this, where this is how you want to do it, and everybody's gonna fill in your head that the problem can't be you because of everything that you're carrying. You're carrying the biggest load. Look at you. Yeah. You're doing everything. Luca's doing everything. When I when I listened to some of the morning shows the other day, they weren't blaming Luca. They were blaming Dinwiddie. They were blaming Brunson. They were blaming everyone else on Dallas because they couldn't rise to the expectation expectation or the level of Luca. And they're saying yeah. all you got to do is give us twenty. And they brought up the fact that when 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 Luca was out. For the first two games of the previous series, Brunson was going off. Yep. Now that Luca comes back, Brunson's fall off a cliff. And they're like, <laughs> he's turning it back into Jalen Brunson. That was the talk. So for yeah. if you're him, you're like, just give me a better player. Get me a better guy to do this thing and I'll be able to do it. This is it's too addictive. So you're Kobe yeah. Bryant. You had the most dominant player in the world, maybe in history, in Shaquille O'Neal. And you being Kobe Bryant, just won three championships in a row. And then you're going to say, I want to do it on my own. Because what he wasn't getting was the MVPs, the individual accolades, the name recognition, the Michael Jordan status. Mm-hmm. And, and young players, if you're doing this thing, you wanted it, I wanted it. We were all consumed with that drug. You want to be individualized in yeah. this game as a young person, and that's the drug. 
Yes, it's yeah. a team sport, but there's an old school aspect to that. You want your name cemented as the guy more yeah. than you want the ring. And many players, as much as they would say right now, they would take that, the MVPs, the scoring titles. It only starts to come in after we get tired of watching you do the same thing over and over again. Once we've seen it enough, once we've seen it two or three times, then we're just going to eat your, we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to attack you because we're yeah. bored. But these guys get well, drawn into it, man. But even, even Kobe, that's what I'm saying. I'll say this with the specifically Kobe scenario. That's a hard one because Kobe worked so hard. Of course. You know what I mean? Kobe really, really worked hard. And in a situation with Shaq, it does get to a point where you're almost like, yo, this is too easy. You still do need challenges. You still do need things that push you and motivate you to go through the grind of the off season as well as the season. So I don't, if Kobe's in a very unique space because Shaq is Shaq. Like Shaq is a, Shaq is Shaq, bro. Like, he's so dominant. He's so big. It's so easy. Like, and then you put a guy that's comparable to Michael Jordan on his team. It's hard, you know, because the same scenario can can arise where now Kobe's being treated in a way where he feels like how a Jalen Brunson might feel. Not exactly the same, obviously, because he's still a star, but the idea that you're just another guy supporting this guy. And if everything goes wrong, it's your fault. Can't be the other guy's fault. And Kobe and Shaq had a lot of friction. You know what I mean? It wasn't it wasn't just about them winning. It was they had issues in practices and off the court. You know, so I think it was a little bit more it was touchy between those two because they both had some real egos. And Kobe was watching Shaq go into off season get really, really out of shape and then come back while he's putting in all this work and he's starting to resent the fact that I'm doing all of this and you're coming back out of shape and now we got to wait for you to get into shape. So now I'm sitting here trying to hold myself back for you. And I think that's what made it harder for Kobe. It wasn't just that they were winning and he was bored of winning. It was the culture that he was watching which was an almost AAU culture with Shaq, no. where he could get away with everything. No, I don't think Shaq, so. I Shaq feel like got Phil, away with everything. Nah, bro. Phil's not going to let him get away with everything. I think, the prob- right. I think the problem then was Phil saying, the obvious key to success is through Shaq. The obvious key to success is through Shaq. Shaq mm-hmm. is the commanding force. This offense is gonna run out of is gonna run through Shaq. That triangle is gonna run through Shaq. Everything goes through Shaq. Because remember, in the triangle, you're gonna need a post up threat. Yeah. In Chicago, Jordan was the post up threat. In LA, Shaq is that. In Post Shaq LA, when Phil came back, it became Kobe. You know what I mean? So the way the offense was going to be structured, it was just everything ran through Shaq. And I think Kobe was saying, nah, man. 
Like, I wanted to run through, like, I think I should be the guy. I think I should be the person. And Phil is saying to him, nah, bro, we're going to win. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just play your position. He didn't. He wanted more for his career, for his name, for, for what he was driving for. Because you're right. The work he was putting in was second to none. It was out of this world level of work. So he wanted that. He wanted his name cemented. Because rightly so, he's worked his whole life and he continues to work for it. And he yeah. wanted that to be the driving force. And he was tired. And he, he made mention of it. He was tired of hearing that it was Shaq carrying the Lakers. He was tired of hearing that. He didn't want to hear that anymore. And through that friction, because he was pushing it, forced that breakup. And in forcing that breakup, now it's like, well, it's all you. And he proved to everybody, I'm the best player, like Harden did, like Westbrook did at one point. I'm the best player in the NBA. Bravo. Bravo. You're 100% the best player in the NBA. You're not going to get a ring. <laughs> You're not yeah. going to win doing it. That's cool. You know what I mean? Get your little MVP. Get the scoring title. Get all of that stuff. Everything that comes with that is now yours. Right? But. Let's face it, you're not going to win. And that's, a, a lot of times, that's the hard part for these young players. What means more to you? Winning, playing winning basketball. It's something I want to bring up to my, my nephew. It's like, you do what it takes to win on a basketball floor. If you need to rebound, you rebound. If you take charge, you take charge. You, you, need, to, you need to play winning basketball. These guys want to play star ball. That's but you know, but it, it it creates an interesting thing because I think everything is a mixture of 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 textures. It's a mixture of things that you put together that you hope is going to produce a ton of good things versus just one good thing. Because then a guy could say, "Well, then why would you get mad at guys teaming up? Why would you get mad at a super team? Then? If winning is what it's about, why would you get mad at Durant for going and joining the Warriors?" That's true. Right? Because it's all about winning, right? And no one's going to care about anything you did if you don't have the rings to show for it. Right. So I think it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, when you tell somebody one of those cliche statements and they take it literal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now you're like, well, I didn't mean for you to literally go and do that. I just was trying to give you kind of a, a context point. I think with this whole process of, of competing and the journey towards winning and, and, and having these championships and then maybe becoming a Hall of Famer, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens in between. And a lot of the things I think me and you talk about and the things we miss or the things that we're always trying to convey through these conversations is that there's depth and there's meaning and there's something that builds character that you're going through if you allow it. You know, meaning don't run away from adversity. Don't take the easy route. Mm -hmm. Don't don't think that things are free even and that there isn't a price to be paid for everything. But at the same time, there needs to be a bigger picture in mind so that you're not selfish or self-centered and, and now you make it impossible for yourself to either get along with people or to be 
in a winning environment in the first place. So I think, you know, going back to Kobe, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of elements to that because I really think Kobe wanted to be tested. Mm-hmm. I think Kobe, Kobe did not feel like he was truly being tested. Mm-hmm. And I think that created a dissatisfaction that started to play itself out because you have this guy who has all these gifts and works so hard that if he does Kobe, you don't need Kobe to even be as great as he, he was to win the Shaq. Realistically. Mm-hmm. He was so gifted. You didn't need him to do the things that he was doing. So there was something in him that he just needed to push himself to the limit. And it was beyond winning. And there's a part of me that understands that. Because, again, winning is one thing, but all the things in between, the, the developing the ability to lead, mm-hmm. developing the ability to get the best out of people, Mm-hmm. All those things are things that I think Kobe needed to go through the process of in order for Kobe as the human even to evolve. Because otherwise he may still stay in a in a selfish, narcissistic maybe point of view instead of starting to develop empathy and understand how to get to certain players and how to bring things out of people. And I think that's, I, I believe some of what Kobe was looking for beyond just the MVPs and the accolades because he got tired of those things pretty quickly too, right? So I think Kobe is a special case and there are people that need to be tested in life and they're going to go off into the wilderness in order to go through that rite of passage to come out a different version of themselves too. So there is those types and then there's the types that just want the path of least resistance and they're going to team up with their buddies and then they're going to gang up and beat everyone too. So I think there's a thin line between the two and it's, it's what motivates you and drives you because yeah, you can walk away from a situation where you could be successful, but unfulfilled. Or you could be unsuccessful and then feel like you're the man. Or I think, in a a situation like maybe how Jordan felt towards the end and certain other players, even Magic Johnson, where you can be great individually and fulfilled and win. And there's a, that's a special environment there. And it's not, it's not always the case. Like it's like Brady and, and, and New England, you know what I mean? Like it's very rare to be able to find that balance between the two. But I think that's why we see dynasties rise and fall. It's why we see all the things that we see with players, you know, beefing and going back and forth because their egos won't allow them to concede. And this is why we love this thing, right? This is why it's so fragile. This is why success is so fragile. Because it takes so many different elements to balance this thing out to make it all work, you know? Yeah, I... These young NBA players remind me of a child realizing that the tooth fairy isn't real or Santa <laughs> Claus isn't real. There's there's levels of, oh, why would you lie to me? So you get these players that come into the league and then they say, what is the highest level of success that I could achieve as a basketball player in the NBA? That mm. is Michael Jordan. It's the highest level of success. 
And what did Michael Jordan have? What did he get after that? He got money, fame, shoes, you know what I mean? You name it. A cultural influence larger than life. That's what he got for his reward of being the best basketball player in the league or ever. So that's the pinnacle of success. So people look at it and they say, what is the Michael Jordan story? Well, the Michael Jordan story, the way we think of it, is he's the best player. What defines you as the best player? Scoring. Okay. Scoring makes you the best player. The, the number one scorer, the guy who could lead the league in scoring, is the best player. Got it. <laughs> right? Okay. Harden read the memo. Westbrook read the, read the memo. Iverson read the memo. Yeah. Luca read the memo. Everybody's reading. Got it. Scoring. So they go out there and they score. Durant scores. Kyrie scores. Steph's everybody's scoring. It's good. And then so and then they go and they say, okay, how am I doing? They say, Oh, you're good, but you're not Michael Jordan. Mm. You're not there yet. Okay, okay. You know, I gotta keep pushing. And then they're like, I want an MVP. I want a scoring title. I'm first team all NBA X amount of times. Heck, I even have a defensive player of the year. I have all-star games. I have all-star game MVPs. And they start accumulating this stuff. And then it gets to a point in their career where they're like, Oh, by the way, you forgot the rings. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, oh, shit. The rings. <laughs> we got to yeah. go and get the rings now. So you're KD. You're realizing, shit, I'm running out of time. <laughs> I need to get the rings. So, yeah, you go to Golden State to get the ring. You're LeBron James. Shit, I need to get the ring. Okay, we go to Miami. So now you're in scramble mode. <laughs> to go and get the ring because you're figuring once I get all of this stuff, you know what I mean? It should be good enough. And they're letting you, nah, it's not good enough. And then you get to a point, you're LeBron James. You get, how much LeBron have now? Four? Yeah. That's going to eat him alive. Because <laughs> they're saying, well, Michael Jordan got to six. And that's what's killing him right now. He's, Damn, how do I get to six? Kobe, it, it's killing him. How do I get to six? And this is what's going to start to consume these guys when you're talking about what's going to drive the best of the best. What's the challenges? The challenges is Jordan. And, it, and yeah. it's hard because we're not looking at the total story when it comes to Mike. To me, the biggest thing in Michael Jordan's career that no one talks about, he has the work ethic like Kobe, right? He has the yeah. feel to the game. He has the scoring ability like Harden. He has all of those intangibles. You're missing Phil. You're missing Phil Jackson. And a lot of people don't realize that there does something. And the humility for him to stand or step down and allow Phil to do what Phil does. And to him for him to execute in said system. This yeah. is what a lot of these guys are missing. So LeBron James greatness, one of the greatest ever. He doesn't have six. <laughs> and we're going to hold him to that. And it's like, yeah. what does he do? Does he just need better players? Because, yeah, that's going to be the consensus. He just needs better guys. And it's like, nah, you needed a Phil Jackson. You needed a coach. And you needed to come down and step off of who you are and allow somebody to do that for you. Yeah. And this, I think yeah, there's, and there's a little bit of you need to build a culture. 
and an identity for the players that are walking into that environment. With a lot of these guys, it's musical chairs with players. I even listening to Kyrie in that and in that interview he does where he starts talking about him and KD have to manage the team. <laughs> and we need to do so you know what I mean? And we need to make some moves in the off season and it's like, bro, focus on building just the culture, man. You guys didn't lose because you didn't have the personnel. You don't get swept because you don't have the personnel, bro. You didn't have the culture. You didn't have the buy-in. You didn't have enough of, you know, everyone being connected and being together. It's funny. I was listening to Zion Williamson the other day do his interview. And they were talking to him, and he just kept saying, you know, this is a special group of guys, man. I'm excited to play with these guys. And then one of the reporters was like, why do you say, why do you keep saying that? Like, what's, what's so special about these guys? And he said, because the same way that you see guys on the floor and fighting and they're enjoying each other and they're communicating and everyone feels connected, that's the way it is off the floor. We're really, we really like each other, you know? Plus, we have a coach that's emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that he even recognized that. He's smart. Because there's something there when people are emotionally invested in a situation. Yeah. Those Bulls players were emotionally connected. Yeah. So now you start to, first of all, you get to know the person better. You you connect better almost telepathically because you know that person. It's like a marriage, a man and a woman they eventually just know each other. So now everything becomes a well-oiled machine. When I watch all these other guys play, they look like there's breakdown. You know, like you watch the Bulls, when 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 you keep all those players in that system, the triangle, for a long enough period of time, guys are throwing the ball into the area knowing that the guy's going to beat it. Right? So eventually, it's the continuity and the flow that's why Phoenix looks so good this year because they basically kept the same team. Yeah. Right? Whereas, again, you think of Dallas, you're you're swapping guys in and out and then you're blaming the new guys when they get there. Yeah. It's not a, that's not going to produce winning because now that guy is on the end of the bench by himself. Yeah. And that, I think, is a part of what Jordan was able to do that changed the results and made them be able to keep repeating like that. But when they hear because, the, but when they hear the Jordan story, they're like, "Oh, he got Pippen though." Yeah, another fifty top fifty greatest player. So what, right? And and fine, but there's all kinds of guys that are really really good that ain't working right now. <laughs> guys are right. Guys are forcing themselves out of situations and 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 protesting. By by playing like garbage, <laughs> guys are literally mailing it in, right? Like guys are mailing it in to protest the out of a situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've never seen nothing like that before. Even Pippen knows if he's on that floor, there's no mailing it. In. You're gonna have to play. But no one, again, no one is telling them the truth because at a certain point. From the top of the organization down to the bottom, everyone from for at some point is going to be in it for themselves. Whether it's the coach, he's going to be in it for himself. So he's going to realize quickly 
How do I keep this job? I don't want to keep moving my family around. I finally got here. Then you're going to have the GM. Then you're going to have the owners. Then you're just going to have the players alike. You know what I mean? People are going to be in it. This is because it's a business the way it is. It Mm -hmm. makes all of these things so nuanced and hard because we're asking people. It's a game. And there's a, a, a certain historical way that you play this game. This game is played in a certain way. You, you, you remember how they used to talk about the Fab Five? Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it's too hip-hop. That's just not how you play college basketball. You know what I mean? They're not moving the ball. What, what's going on here? You know, like, they're not, they're not playing the old style in the game. But everybody's like, yeah, but look at their socks. Got the black socks and the big shorts, and you know what I mean. It became yeah. entertainment, and it was yeah. like, yeah, that's cool, but you're not gonna beat Duke. You're mm-hmm. not gonna beat Duke. You're not gonna beat Coach K. Not like that. Whatever, you know what I mean. You're gonna get close, but you're just not gonna have enough. You're not gonna have enough of what it needs to get over the hump. You're gonna be stuck in yourself. You're gonna be stuck in the mirror. Looking at yourself, yeah. you're gonna you you're gonna want to be cool, and cool is better than winning, and that's the hard truth for these people. Yeah. Giannis, Giannis will win ugly. He doesn't care. <laughs> you can see yeah. it in him. He yeah. will win ugly basketball games, and that's what you could expect from him. Is he's never going to stop. So it's even funny. if you're up, he's coming. It's funny you say that, though, because, you know, he had a struggle, and then the conversation was, is he still the best player in the world? (laughs) You know what I mean? Every game, every game from here on out is, if you play good, you're the greatest. If you play bad, you suck, or you're not even nothing close to that. So it's funny, because I'm like, yeah, you're you're, you're trying to say now that he's not, but he had 28, and and what? 28 and 12, either way. So what you're saying is the guy's going to play bad and still give you those kind of numbers, still affect the game, still be involved, still never quit and, and, and just be a non-factor because his DNA is to just go. Yeah, He's not going to hit shots someday, mm-hmm. but he's still going to keep going. And that's what I'm looking for in the best player. Mm-hmm. Is that he's going to keep going? There's only I've never seen Michael Jordan quit. Yeah. So when people are talking about the best, the guys that witnessed it that will say that they are looking at the totality of what it is to be a good player, to be the player that you would choose if you had to pick one. And these guys picked Jordan because of every element of what made him who he was. We, of course get the scoring the MVP is the titles all of those things of course but real players and real analysts that watched it saw it they know all the other things that he brought to the table and that's why they will always want to lean towards him especially when you see guys now mailing it in guys taking games off just because they need the rest not saying they're technically wrong but when you've seen a guy who's considered the greatest 
pushing through all of these things, it naturally is going to make you want to grab that guy first because, you know, you can rely on that guy. And that's just what it is. So Giannis is kind of that guy, too, where you know that you can rely on him. He's not going to take a sick day unless he has no choice. And that's the type of person that you're going to want to put your money on and rely on. Yeah. So I, I, I think... I, I think that there's just an opportunity in this moment in time to have these combos because I'm watching the teams that are winning and the teams that are losing. And in my opinion, as big as somebody like John Morant is, the Memphis Grizzlies as a whole is what's exciting to Memphis right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because people are watching the whole team and it almost has that NCAA type of environment. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's going to bear fruit as well. You can make money in many ways. And I just think that in the long run, it's going to be the team environment that's going to really win out and that there's going to be more loyalty and people are going to pass that that energy along. Yeah. And before you know it, it's packed. Every game's packed. Everybody's tuned in. The players feel it. They play harder. The results are better. Winning is the great equalizer. Winning solves a lot of those problems, especially in a situation like that. And and yeah. and that is what's not that's again, I'm I'm still on the fact that we were we were all lied to. You know what I mean? <laughs> about the game. We were all lied to about greatness. Mm. You know, so it takes an entire team to pull it through, coach included. And we yeah. got lied to to believe that an individual alone is enough. That's where that's where it all gets hazy for a lot of these guys. They're great basketball players. They're just missing. They, they, they don't have all of the points yet. And by the time they finally figure it out, you know what I mean? They finally get, oh, my gosh, I didn't even think of that shit. You know what I mean? By the time they finally figured out, it's like, eh, it's too late. It's over now. <laughs> you know? Great, great, great. You know, you had a great career. It's over. And it le- it leads to something unfulfilled. And that's the hardest thing I-, I would say to, you know what I mean, for a lot of these guys probably living through, like, damn, I should have done this, or I should have done that, or I should have stayed here. Here was the right place for me, but I left for, you know, because I wanted my own team. This yeah. that stuff right there is gonna haunt a lot of these guys. So yeah, th- it, it's it's tough. It's tough, man. I that's why I look I look at Charlotte and I'm like, you guys you guys are making a mistake. You guys are making a dangerous mistake, you know, because if if I'm if I'm looking at it, and I know you love him, and because we're having this conversation, they want Lamelo to turn into a Luca. They want LaMelo to turn into Luca, And you're saying Nah bro Don't go down that road But it's like Nah They want you to go down that road It's And it's and it's a dangerous Dangerous road So You know Looking at the rest of the playoffs And looking at everything else You're like You know what There's a recipe for success here It's gonna be team basketball And let the best team win mm-hmm. Yeah Yeah Let's Let's call it. I think we we reached the point here. Yeah. 
I think so too. Thank you everybody for tuning in to the Ballers Edition podcast. It's been a pleasure. Till the next time, peace.